Welcome to In The Know, podcast presented by Boot Crew Media. We have a very special guest. Uh, we have Sam Cheney of The Athletic, and he you may know him from the Game Theory podcast. You may know him from all the amazing draft content that he puts out on a yearly basis. Um, Sam, what's up with you, man? How is this time of year for you in general, and is it as crazy as one might think? <laughs> It is. Uh, it's you know even crazier you know than what you would anticipate. You know you've got forty five, you know things burning in the fire at once. You have. I'm trying to find my little schedule that I have every week. I have like a schedule checklist where I knock everything off. It's literally like a full notebook page for this week already of things that have been crossed off, unfortunately. So. You know, it, we're getting to that point where I'm I'm ready to ready to be past it a little bit. But this week with the combine with the lottery, it kind of reinvigorated it a little bit because it gave us new things to talk about. It gave us new things to uh, not new things, but like things to think about in a different way because we now have a draft order. Uh, we now have just slightly more information than what we had previously on these prospects. So it's a really exciting time to you know look into this 2022 NBA draft. Yeah, for for sure. I was gonna say like, do, did you typically attend the combine when you were here? And um, if you didn't, um, is it does it change anything materially materially for you being overseas, being in Australia? Great question. I, I would say yes, I always attended the Combine, first and foremost. Uh, does it change anything materially in terms of the way that I evaluate prospects? No, uh, I don't find the Combine. Like the five-on-five -five stuff is nice. It's good to see guys get up and down against you know high-level length and athleticism, uh, not necessarily NBA level, but uh, higher than what you would see in a college game typically with NBA-level spacing as well. Uh, but if you're putting a ton of stock into these combine games where you're like throwing out all of what you've seen this year because Terquavion Smith dropped 17 points, you know, in a half of a combine game or whatever he had today, I, I just think that that's kind of silly personally. Um, I think that you should be relying on the tape at the end of the day. And I think that's the easiest way to go about it. There are numbers that you can look at. There are results that you can look at certainly. Um, the tape doesn't lie, though, for the most part. You just have to know how to contextualize the tape. And I certainly don't think I'm an expert at that by any stretch. But I think that, uh, you know, we all try our best to figure out uh, the ways that these players are going to translate to the next level. So what you're saying is to pump the brakes on the Kenny Lofton Jr. is a lottery pick, Trey. Oh, man, I would love nothing more than if Kenny Lofton plays in the NBA. What a fun player. Like yeah. he's clearly put in so much work on his frame. Like you guys being down there, you probably saw him at Louisiana Tech. I mean, he was he was hefty, let's go with by the end of the season, by midseason this year. And uh he's not that. Like he looks pretty spelt. The shot looks pretty good. I've yeah. I've enjoyed what I've seen uh in the you know tape that I've seen of him this week. Yeah, I hope some team gives him a chance, whether it's, you know, in the second round or two-way or, or something like that. You know, that'd be really fun to watch. Um, we're going to transition more into the Pelican side of things. So the Pelicans now um, in the first round have the eighth pick. They didn't move up. They didn't move down. Uh, it's a little bit of an interesting spot to be. Um, just in general, I, I guess my first question to you about that space is, do you feel like there's a clear – stratification i mean i think there's a in my opinion there's a clear top four and then i think there's a fifth guy in, in shade and sharp who two teams should absolutely take a chance on uh, but beyond that i feel like it, it gets dicey and i think like it, yeah. things are up in the air and i was wondering where you're at um and how big of a range do you feel like um is is fair to say like okay these guys might be a little bit interchangeable yeah, good question. I would say that the range from six, it, so it's hard because like, so Keegan Murray and Ben Matherin are relatively safer prospects, I think. Uh, they both shoot really well. They're both very productive college players. They have some defensive questions. Ben, 
uh, is not really a second and third effort guy, or at least wasn't at Arizona, uh, and needs to consistently work on that end of the court and needs to tighten up his closeouts and do everything like that. Keegan just has some questions in terms of lateral quickness that he needs to improve on. But for the most part, I feel pretty good about those guys being starter quality players in the NBA. I don't know that they have the highest upside, though, of this next group. So, like, you have your Jeremy Sohans, you have your A.J. Griffins, you have your Dyson Danielses, you have your, you know, I'm trying to think off the top of my head here, you know, guys like that, that I think you can make a case may have higher upside than that twosome of players. But, uh, you know, is it worth taking them over that, given the expected value question of, you know, they're a little bit farther off. They're not necessarily uh, as much of sure things. Jeremy Sohan, for instance, has a significant question in regard to the shot. Uh, AJ Griffin has significant defensive questions. Uh, I think that there are just a number of different factors that teams are going to have to consider here. And, uh, you know, the Pelicans, though, should feel very good about their situation, given the fact that uh, this is a front office that Absolutely unequivocally nailed the evaluation process last year in the 2021 draft cycle between hitting Trey Murphy, who is is and remains one of my favorite prospects in that class, Herb Jones, who is and remains one of my favorite prospects in that draft class, and Jose Alvarado, who I was not at all a fan of in last year's draft. I did not see that at all. I thought he was going to end up over here in Australia playing in the NBL, you know, in like a Peyton Siva kind of situation. But I uh, absolutely unequivocally proved me wrong in every way. He is a phenomenal defensive guard who really gets his teammates involved and just seems like a blast to have on the team and seems like a blast to play with. Yeah. Um, Mason, I was going to segue into, since he brought up ter, uh, Trey and Herb, I was going to uh, save this question for later, but I feel like it's such a nice transition. You know, I was listening to your your spot with Seth Partnow on, on, on the call-in and, um, and and previously, you know, you've talked about how this draft class at this time is perhaps not as strong as the previous one, specifically at the top. But, you know, you did a little bit of a redraft at the end of the year. I think you had Trey yeah. going around 10 and Herb like right after that. Um Knowing what we know about those players, or where where would you say you would take them in this draft? That's a great question, and not something I've thought about. So let's uh, let's let's think about this a little bit more. Uh, For sure, I would probably take Trey. I, so, like, I think Trey is a better prospect than I think Trey is probably a better prospect than AJ Griffin. So, and I have AJ Griffin. You know right in that like 10, 11, 12 range right now. So I would definitely take Trey in the lottery somewhere. And are we thinking back to like what they were as prospects or what we know about Herb now, for instance, right? Like I had Herb as an end of the first round guy last year sure. in a stronger draft. I have him higher than that, obviously now where, you know, how do we want to think about this and last going into the draft or what we know about Herb now? I would say what we know about Herb now. Okay. What we know about Herb now, uh, similar boat. Like I would take, I really like Dyson Daniels in this class. Dyson has a fairly similar prospect profile. Uh, I love the defensive energy. I love uh, the passing ability, you know, has some shot questions and I still worry about Herb in that regard. I worry about offensive impact with Herb, which is why I actually would, still take Trey over her long-term if we're trying to like come up with a value perspective For of sure. what their long-term career will look like. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, I think I would take both of these guys somewhere in that seven to 10 range, to be honest, seven to 10, seven to 11 in this class. Yeah. So I, I think that particularly is a good uh, segue in itself to something that uh, Schmidt and I were talking about a little bit before the podcast, which was, um, re really the kind of difference in value uh, across from that kind of first tier that you mentioned to the second tier of players. Yeah. And so, you know, you heard a little bit about Houston potentially considering moving out of the, of, of that third pick. Um, you always want to give Sacramento a call because why not? Right. And so I guess, you yeah. know, your perspective, not necessarily, you know, what asset wise, what you think it would cost, what would you, you know, how much more value would you put on like the third or fourth pick versus where the Pelicans are? Significantly more. 
Um, the Pelicans are one of the few teams that realistically I think could get into that range just due to the sheer number of picks they have long-term from the Lakers, right? Like you have all of these picks and I believe you have two picks remaining from Milwaukee forthcoming in the Drew deal, right? Yep. I think, that's, better I, I think that's, I think that's accurate. I think the 25 pick and the 27 pick. Yeah, so you guys have multiple firsts coming from Milwaukee. You have multiple firsts still coming from L.A. You have multiple pick swaps still coming from L.A. So they oh, are wait, I think Portland now gets um, the top five protected of the 25 Milwaukee pick because they were supposed to get – they had made the bet that they were going to get the Pelicans lotto pick this year, but that, that went to Charlotte because uh, the Pelicans That's made right. the playoffs, and now that becomes a Milwaukee pick, but it's top five protected. Yeah. Okay. So I would assume Milwaukee's not going to end up in the top five, given that Giannis might be an alien that was sent (laughs) down here to just obliterate basketball. Um, Yeah, no, I I think that it's a really interesting, it's really interesting because the the Pelicans are a team that I think realistically could swing here uh, for a top three or four pick. They're one of the few teams in that range that I think could like, I've seen some people bring up the Spurs, right? The Spurs have nine, they have 25, and they have 30. I don't think 25 and 30 gets you to four, like at all. Like that's not that's not a value that I would be willing to do. But this Lakers team and these Lakers picks have some real significant upside here, given what we've seen from the Lakers over the course of the last year in terms of their roster construction, in terms of how messy the whole situation seems to be there. I, uh, it, it's it, whether or not I would actually swing a trade, I don't know. I think it would take at least one unprotected. They, they still have an unprotected Lakers first rounder coming soon, yeah. right? Yeah. Like in yeah, 2024, I think. Yeah. And, and they have a right to defer to 25 if they want. Yeah. So, I think it would probably take that pick uh, and maybe something else into the future to be able to get number four. I would, I do that. It's interesting. Uh, That Lakers pick has a chance to be such a fucking catastrophe for the Lakers that like, I might want to keep that (laughs) to be honest, but uh, I am cognizant of the fact that new Orleans has a very, interesting scenario here forthcoming with Zion Williamson and a desire to compete now, given how good Brandon Ingram has morphed into being over the course of the last, you know, 18 months and how, you know, interesting the CJ McCollum led backcourt seems to be now. So they are a team that I think could make a case to make a swing uh, if they really truly wanted to. Yeah, I think that's that's incredibly fascinating, and particularly when I think of who they could swing for. Um, I, I don't really think they can get in the range of Chet. Uh, it, that yeah. Chet probably goes one or two. So if we're thinking three or four, and, and who falls there, um, that could be either Paolo Jabari, um, Jaden Ivey. I think two of those three are are, are, are going to be there. And um, I guess if we're specifically looking at four, one of them's going to be there. And I don't know if they do it for for Ivey. Um, but I think if Jabari was there, uh, I think they'd be more inclined to, it's just, it's fascinating because when you look at how the Pelicans are now choosing to build around Zion and, and Brandon Ingram, um, and, and sort of the core they have, they brought in, uh, versatile defensive players. You know, they brought in Eric Jones, they brought in Trey Murphy, uh, Larry Nance was, was acquired and in, in the playoffs, um, you know, Jonas Valanciunas has been great as a starter and stuff, but you would see they would close games with Larry. And I think the idea behind Jackson Hayes was also like, hey, maybe this guy can develop into someone that can um, switch on to multiple positions and, and give us something offensively. And some of that's shown, uh, some of some of that's born fruit, but some of it hasn't. You know, it's been kind of kind of up and down. Uh, I wish he gave the Pelicans a little bit more offensively, um, yeah. particularly from from a shooting perspective. Uh, but I have been impressed by his ability to kind of stay out in the perimeter when when he when he needs to. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought he was going to be like potentially like done there before yeah. this season. Like I, I thought yeah. it was going very very poorly. But this year went well enough to where 
you know, you go, okay, this is a guy who's relatively young in his basketball development at the very least, because he focused on football uh, at a younger age because his father was the tight ends coach of the Bengals for many years. And you can see a world where, because he had the late growth spurt, because he focused on basketball a little bit later, maybe it'll come along at some point. Uh, but yeah, I, I really thought coming into the year, this was going to be bad for Jackson and it didn't like it turned out. Okay. By the mid season point. He just seems like such a classic second draft guy. Uh, yeah. you know, you know, like he finds, you know, maybe, maybe he finds some team that, uh, is able to deploy him a little better. You know, he's, he's taken, uh, he's had some time in the, uh, in the league and maybe he's developed a shot a little bit and finds his stride. I think, you know, it would be interesting to see what, what happens with him, but I think, uh, where do, do you guys buy this. the shot with Jackson? Because I don't. Uh, I, I I just need to see that volume. I think you know yeah. it, he if if they commit to letting him shoot five threes a game, or if a team lets you know commits it to do that, and if he can hit around thirty four percent, I think that's valuable. You know, like that's what Miles Turner does. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And in and, and so I think that's got to be the approach for him moving forward. Otherwise um, there's going to be very limited fits for him, particularly teams that have uh, guards who can play really well in the pick and roll and can utilize them as a play finisher. Uh, but then you get to asking like, can we bring in other players who are just better than him at other areas uh, in, in that same role? So I think he's got to separate himself with his shooting. Right, Madison? Yeah. 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 I, I agree. I've learned not to be able, I, I can't guess at any big and, and what they're going to be able to do three point shooting wise. I mean, you look at Brooke Lopez, I mean, who, who, who saw it coming? So yeah, I don't know. And I think it's particularly interesting. So kind of merging both points together. The reason I even brought up, should we trade ups? Cause the Pelicans are, they don't have a lot of roster spots. And this kind of get into some of the other questions yeah. we're going to ask you around like the first, second round picks is that Tony Snell, I think is only free agent. And then you're going to replace that slot with the eighth pick or whoever you take in the top 10. And then, if you want to add anyone else, it's a two way or you've got a, you know, you've got a, a clear roster spot. And so I, I think, um, you know, that's that's kind of the interesting point for me is, is, is you know, what, you know, what, do you, you know, what do you think the Pelicans might do here, um, given given the roster crunch that they were really looking at? It's so hard to say with the Pelicans because so much of it is tied to the big fucking looming question that is Zion Williamson <laughs> like yep. I so much of their roster trajectory so much of the franchise trajectory even is so tied to this 300 pound behemoth that averaged 27 points and like 11 rebounds as a second year player or whatever the fuck it was right like he was unbelievable and he looks like you know a top 10 player in the league at some point and he didn't play it all this year for reasons that I don't want to say they remain mysterious. I think we know what the reasons are, but like he clearly had the injury and everything, but like there's so much subterfuge, it seems like surrounding the situation. That's a good that, way to like, put it. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what exactly to think. So I, I to, to answer your question, I don't, I don't know. Like is the problem. And I think it would be easier to know if we had a better inclination of where things were heading with Zion in terms of like, should they be building for the now? Should they be building for later? I think they're building for now almost regardless. Like the, um, the idea that, um, you know, that they acquired CJ McCollum, I guess says that um, they're probably going for it now as opposed to later, but they also have all these young guys. I, I, I mean, look, I, I think there are probably some roster spots that they could create, but you know, that might involve moving a Devonte Graham. It might involve moving another guy off the roster that theoretically has a rotation spot may not be, controllable long-term, even though Devontae, I guess, has three years left on that contract. But, like, um, you know, a, a I think you can move contracts uh, in the offseason in a way that makes sense if you really want to open a roster spot. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think, you know, for the past three years, Griff has kind of tried to thread this needle between being competitive and, and bringing in vets who can kind of assist Brandon Ingram, assist Zion, help them – 
uh, learn the ropes of the league and, and help the other the young players learn while also uh, picking, you know, young players who can contribute and, and perhaps grow, grow into stuff. You know, they drafted Kyra, they drafted, um, I think Kyra was a little bit of a, of a, of a like, let's go for the upside. Cause you know, he yeah. wasn't necessarily someone to going to contribute day one. And, um, and, you know, they drafted Hayes with the same mentality. Nikhil, I think was, maybe a little bit of a hybrid, like, okay, like, you know, he was a sophomore coming out of uh, uh, Virginia Tech, and he, he was a little bit more skilled. He showed some stuff in, in summer league, and um, but, you know, they, now, now Akil is in, in Utah. But what I was going to say is you have you have at least three cost-controlled role players on rookie contracts, Herb, uh, Jose, and Trey. Uh, you know you got those role player spots filled. Does that make you more inclined to sort of swing for the fences, so to speak, um, with this pick. And then, you know, I, I listened to Seth and, and yourself like discuss like, oh, drafting for fit, drafting for upside, et cetera, et cetera. And I know what side of the scale Seth falls on. Um, but like, I think, you know, when knowing that you have these three spots kind of filled, do you feel like there's like a cushion of forgiveness to where you can be like, hey, uh, we are a good team now. We are going to add Zion. Why not just kind of. I would add Najee to that list too, huh? Sort of. Sure. Let's, let's add Najee to that list. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one that could easily be a roster. Not that Najee's not bad. Like, Najee's a good player. Like, he's yeah. a totally competent rotation player. But, like, that's one that you could clear out pretty easily if you needed to. Um, not to say, again, like, I don't mean to disparage Najee. I think he's a valuable, like, you know, fourth wing to have around until he really learns to shoot. But, like, brings defensive upside and everything, all that fun stuff. Um, at the end of the day, if I'm the Pelicans... I think I swing for upside in a similar way to how I think about it for Detroit. I think Zion is so good, and I think Ingram is so good, and they have C.J. McCollum. This could be your last time picking in the top 10 for a little while now. And this could be your last chance to be able to really swing for someone like this. Like, this could be your last chance because the Pelicans are not a crazy free agency destination. Like let's be real about it. Despite the fact they're in a great city in new Orleans, we haven't seen, uh, you know, anything beyond, you know, really Devonte Graham, like make a decision to come here as opposed to be traded there. Uh, am I missing someone off the top of my head? From the free agency standpoint, not really. You, you missed yeah. another lottery pick next year with the Lakers pick swap coming in, but um, besides that, you were spot That's on. true. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Not, I mean, the, 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 like the, <laughs> the the win that this this franchise has been celebrating and, and reminding you of at every corner is, is CJ saying, "Yeah, I want it to be traded here," uh, and right. I think that's important. I think that's that's hugely important, totally. especially a player of his, his caliber and, and acknowledging that and going on every platform, him saying that too. I think is is important. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right with the assessment of the market. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think that while it is likely to me that at some point in the next two years that Lakers pick could be a top 10 pick, uh, I don't know that I would count on it just given that LeBron is like, you know, just Exists. who he is, right? <laughs> yeah. And and Anthony Davis is still on that roster. Yeah. You know, I know that, you know, he had a relatively poor year by his standards this year, but if he can come back from the injuries and injuries will always be a question with Anthony Davis. I think there is a chance that they could be a really good basketball team next year. So if I was them, I would swing for upside. I think there are a couple of guys here that fit the multi-positional defensive upside, um, viable hybrid role that this front office seems to have really cornered the market on in some ways uh, and really valued. And then I think that there are also some guys as shooters that could really fit well with Zion Williamson. And I think at the end of the day, what the team has to decide is what are we more concerned about when it comes to cultivating a roster around Zion Williamson? Is it his defensive limitations or is it the shooting that we have to put around him? Uh, obviously, you would like to have players that can do both. Uh, that's the idealized format of this. That's why Trey Murphy, I think, was such a valuable pick for them last year. But when you're drafting, especially in this draft, right now you're kind of picking one or the other and hoping that you can develop that skill uh, going forward as opposed to 
getting a guy that can defend and shoot right now. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I I want to. I'm going to obviously. I ask who who your pick. You know, see we've seen the mock, but you know, kind of in the spirit of this conversation, wondering who you. You know, who, who I'll you be honest. I think I to. fucked up on the mock. Really, in terms of what I did. <laughs> I, I was yeah. well. I, I, I was going to say that the. Um, you know how this team. I, I'll just let you go. I I, I want to hear more about this. <laughs> <laughs> so I. Which so I can't remember who I put on the athletic mock to be honest. Uh, I think that I took AJ Griffin in the game theory mock that I did with Penny, if I remember correctly. Um, I don't think I would take AJ Griffin for them if I was drafting. Uh, I, I worry either. way too. What? I wouldn't either. I I haven't been big on big on AJ. I think I'm I'm, I'm not convinced his his. I think his like main selling point is an absolutely elite shooter. And yeah. if, but my question mark is okay. If he is less than elite, then how valuable is he? And 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 if if that shot is worse than less than elite, then what else does he do at the NBA level? And and you're right, the defensive concerns are a little bit sketchy too. Yeah, I think he's maybe the worst defender in the first round in terms of what is actually on the tape. Uh, he is six foot six. He has a six foot eleven wingspan. He's really strong. He's coming off of an injury, right? Like there are a lot of things that you can point to that say AJ Griffin will get better defensively. And I think those are real cases to be made. He plays very square right now. He's a magnet for screens. He hits them every single time. And just because he's so strong, kind of blows through them. Doesn't really have any recovery speed. Uh, Plays so squared off that like sometimes he's kind of gets blown by. I think he has really poor closeout mechanics because the feet are so heavy. Um, yeah, just not a very good defender right now. I think in any capacity, uh, I, I thought that Duke really had to take him off of the floor defensively at times uh, in a way that was very concerning. So uh, I, I don't think the more that I look at AJ Griffin, the more I think that he is not the kind of player that this front office would value in the past, I guess is what I would say. It's not to say they won't value the future, just not that they have chosen to value over the course of the last few years. I think that's accurate. So, so speaking specifically of, of upside plays here, um, I have a couple of uh, players in mind that I wanted to, to pick your brain on. I've become uh, a very big fan of Usman Jang, and you've kind of been in the neighborhood um, you, did you get a chance to watch him in person uh, at, at all no. this season? No. Okay. But regardless, um, just wanted to get your, your thoughts on him. Is it, is it too much of a reach to take him at eight? Um, and, and I know there's, you know, there's concerns about his, his shooting concerns about his like his, you know, like his frame. Um, yeah. And, but you know, he's, he's very young and, and that's kind of like what you were saying is like, you can have one or the other, what, you know, and you hope that you can turn something into something else. But yeah, I just want to get your thoughts on him. I don't think it's a reach. It's not necessarily what I would do, but that again, like that doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just not what my choice would be if I was taking the like versatile six foot 10 guy, right? There's another one of those guys. Um, Usman is interesting. Usman's shooting mechanics look really good. Uh, the results have been inconsistent throughout the course of his career, even going back to when he was playing in France. I really liked how he seemed to simplify things later in the season in the NBL this year uh, when he was playing for New Zealand. They kind of, after the breakers were you know, out of contention here in the NBL is when he started to get minutes. And he ran with those minutes. I thought he was very successful. I think over his last 13 games, he averaged like, uh, I think it was like maybe 12 points on maybe it was like 49, 36 in 80 or something like that. Uh, so efficient player. I thought that he did better defensively than what you would expect from an 18 year old playing in a professional league over the course of those 13 games. I, I don't think he's a crazy athlete. He's more like, if we're comparing players to cars, like Jaden Ivy is a Corvette that is going to fly by literally everyone in transition. Uh, Usman Jang is more of a Cadillac. He's going to go slow. He's going to go at his own pace. And that shows on defense too. But because he's so big and so long, he has a lot of room for error 
on that end. He can really recover using his length. And I think he actually started to do a better job of using angles defensively uh, in a way that really was good this year, uh, later on in that year in uh, New Zealand. I, uh, I just worry about like, he is kind of a high handle because he's six foot 10 and hasn't like lowered the handle. I think he can be prone to getting stripped. Is that, is that like a similar concern? You, uh, did you have that concern with Josh Giddy? I know Giddy is completely on another level as a passer and, and, and everything else, but like the high I, handle was something that was brought up with, with Giddy as well. Is that a similar? I did. A yeah. lot of those things that you said, I was like, are, you, are we talking about Brandon Ingram or who are we talking about here? So, <laughs> That's well, it. Very similar. Yeah. So there are some of those. It's more Ingram than Giddy. I think that's a that's a better pers- like better point of comparison in terms of like what their roles are, everything sure. like that. Like jo- Josh's thing is that he's just like one of the smartest players Sorry. in like basketball right now as even as a teenager it's unbelievable the way that he like can think the game um it's closer to brandon i don't think he has as much shake as brandon he's not as long as brandon he doesn't have the high release point on the shot that brandon does just in terms of like six foot ten seven foot four seven foot five wingspan whatever it is and like uses it on the high release point as well uh that that's the the hope is like lesser version of Brandon Ingram, I think, with Usman Jang. Now, how valuable can you be as a role player version of Brandon Ingram? Like how 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 does that work? Uh, because I actually think the question with Brandon has always been scalability, right? To winning situations. And he just ended up being so fucking good that it didn't matter, right? Like he's unbelievable i think that brandon's gonna be a top 12 player in the nba at some point like the 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 level to which i think he is the most underrated player in the nba is real uh i'm just gonna be completely transparent about that i think that we don't talk about brandon ingram nearly enough and the way that his game will translate to the nba playoffs um you know i i with Usman, he's going to really have to defend. The athleticism is going to have to translate. And the shooting is going to have to translate. There are a lot of questions. He's really young. But if you trust your developmental system, you trust Fred Vincent as a shooting coach, obviously. Like, I don't know. It's I, I get it. If you want to take the flyer on him at number eight, I get it. I would take a different six foot ten flyer, but I, I understand your idea. What's your what's your six foot ten flyer there? Jeremy Sohan. Uh, yes. If I was the okay. Pelicans. If I was the Pelicans particularly, and Jeremy Sohan was there at eight, I and assuming that, assuming that all of the top four are off the board, assuming that Shaden Sharp is off the board as well, I think, yeah, I would take Shaden over Sohan. Um, so assuming all the top five guys are off the board, it would be down to Matherin and Sohan for me. I think I would lean Sohan for the Pelicans particularly. Because I think that what he needs to work on is the shot. I don't think the shot is broken. It's just never had any sort of tangible result to point to where you can go, oh, yeah, he can shoot, right? Like even the free throw percentage is a disaster. Um, You know, the three-point shooting, I think he had like 27 from three this year or something like that. But there's nothing mechanically where you go that's unfixable. Um he is the most switchable big defender in this draft. I think uh, he is six foot nine to six foot 10. He moves his feet exceptionally well. He's a really good help defender. He closes out. Well, he plays on balance, um, has really good lateral quickness on top of that on offense. He's a really versatile chess piece that can be a ball screen, you know, roller, or he can be a short roll guy, or he can be the guy that freaking handles the ball and ball screens right? Like it's, it's kind of a combo of everything. And if he shoots it, his upside is through the roof. If you're New Orleans and you have a good track record of getting guys to shoot, I understand the idea of taking the flyer on him, particularly if you're a team that does not have a good developmental track record, let's say, um, I would not take him necessarily, but I 
I love Jeremy Sohan for New Orleans. I think he fits a lot of the multi-positional versatility, you know, stuff that really works for them. Uh, and his one weakness is something that New Orleans has had relative success in the past uh, with Fred Vincent as a shooting coach fixing. I, I keep telling Pelicans fans that if you love Herb Jones' defensive tenacity and motor, imagine having an 18-year-old who can also do some of those things and plays at that that like competitive intensity uh, on the defensive yeah. end. And, and you know, I, I'm all in, I think, for my cluster of guys for the eight pick. My, my like, ranking was Sohan, Jang, Matherin. They're, like, very clustered. And then it was Dyson Daniels was my, my other guy. Um, yeah, and, and I love Dyson as well. Dyson, I, I think, goes somewhere in the top ten. You know, he is six, seven and a half, six foot ten wingspan, incredible quickness. W- what he reminds me of is, it's funny – you know that I'm talking to you guys just because Josh Hart was there for a little while. Like, it's he remind Dyson Daniels reminds me of a Villanova guard that is bigger than Josh Hart. I think he's a little bit better defensively than Josh Hart, but has similar offensive kind of properties to Josh mm-hmm. in the way that he plays off of two feet. The way he can like sort of kind of actually play out of ball screens and attack closeouts, despite the fact that like you don't expect it to work. But it does. Yeah. Like it's just so tough and so physical that he makes it work, right? Um, Dyson like he, is a little. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say it's like he has a half court game of Josh Hart and the full court game of Lonzo, and it's like if you if you took those two ex Pelicans together and you're like, because yeah. like I, I watch him hit these hit ahead passes and outlets, and I'm like, this Unreal. guy, this, yeah, this guy is unbelievable in the in the open court, and then he plays, you know, like you said, off the two feet and like little kind of physical style, so. It's very, it's, he's, it's intriguing. Another guy whose shots just like, you know, can fix it. I don't know. Fix it, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So D- Dyson is a guy that, again, I would have ahead of Usman Jang personally. I-, I think that he would probably be my third guy for them. Like, I think for me, it would go Sohan, Matherin, Dyson, if you made me kind of rank them. Uh, I think all of them would be really great additions to the Pelicans. Uh, Dyson, for me, it's hard to imagine a better fit in the backcourt for CJ McCollum than Dyson because Dyson's passing ability, his switchability defensively, um, just the overall intelligence level he plays with, I think that would mesh really, really well with CJ. Really, really well. I, I did want to spend a little bit of time on Mather, and we've kind of glossed over it, yep. but he, he, he does seem like uh, a very likely pick, um, at least of someone available in, in that spot. Where where do you see uh, his his offensive ceiling? And is it like I, I've talked to a couple people? I'm like, okay, well, if he just turns into, uh, let's say, a Tim Hardaway Jr. on offense, is that a disappointing outcome? I don't think so. Not at you know number eight. If you're taking him at number eight, uh, I don't think that's disappointing uh, for this draft particularly. Uh, if you did that in last draft, you might feel a little bit disappointed. But in this one, I think that that's probably about what the expected outcome you could hope for. I think he is a little bit more than Tim, personally. Uh, I think that he's a little—he's way more athletic than Tim was. Oh yeah. I think he's a little bit better of a passer than what Tim was coming out of Michigan, where Ben is so young in his basketball development. He, you know, is from Montreal, didn't get like super high level coaching until he was in his teens. I think that we might be underrating the upside of Ben. Like he's, he's still a teenager for, I think like a week or so. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think he turns 20 at some point in May, if I remember correctly. Um, He's really good. Like he ever, he's a teenager in the Pac-12 that averaged like 20 points, six rebounds, three assists offensively like playing off the catch he has a nice little jump stop floater game uh he can obviously finish above the rim he needs to improve just some little technical footwork stuff uh in terms of his below the rim finishing package but i don't think he's uncomfortable doing it i I think that we might actually be underrating ben's upside a little bit just based on the idea of he was pigeonholed so early as like this three and d guy sure i actually don't think he's that like i I think his defensive game actually needs 
quite a bit of work. Uh, mm-hmm. It needs work technically, though. Like he has flashes of being able to get around screens and like getting skinny when he needs to. And then there are flashes of him, you know, getting caught on a screen. And then he was the king of like the, you know, try and poke from behind to <laughs> get a steal move this year, uh, which was enormously frustrating. You're Jose real well then. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like it's Jose will be like, what are you doing? Like I do this when I'm like 75 feet away from the rim, you're doing it 20 feet away from the rim. Why are you doing that? You're um, also like, you know, like seven inches bigger than me and can jump yeah. 10 feet higher. Yeah. But I, uh, I like Ben quite a bit. I think that we, I think that in general, his upside might be getting a little bit underrated when considering uh, considering guys in this class. I like him a little bit more than I like Keegan Murray. Uh, I like him a little bit more uh, in, in a vacuum than Jeremy Sohan with Pelicans' specific situation where uh, they have such a good track record of shooting development. I like Sohan a little bit more. But I would say for you know 27 other teams, I actually have been you know, number six on my board. I, I really like him. Um, it, it's it, it, the Pelicans are just kind of a different beast, obviously. Yeah. Though. I, I, I know we've got to get you out of here soon. I have one. We haven't talked much about this. The second round, the Pelicans have two second round picks. Um, the Pelicans just had a second round pick that landed really well. Who's the guy that you see? Not, not this year's Herb Jones, but who's the guy in the second round who you like most to like be a top 10, be an all rookie team type guy. Uh, because now I'm sure Pelican fans will look at their two picks and say, well, can we package them? Can we move up to an earlier second round pick and maybe target someone else? And so any, any guy that comes to mind for you as, as, as that guy? So I don't think there's a herb this year. And the reason I say that is most of the in by herb, I mean like rookie year impact. Yeah. Guy. Okay. Um, the reason I say that is that most of the interesting guys late first bottom of the second round are more projecty freshman types. College basketball this year was more big man foot centric than what we've seen in the last few years. A lot of the best players were like bigs, right? Um, EJ Liddell is a guy that like late first, I don't think he quite gets to the Pelican second round picks. So like, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really answer him for this. I like Jalen Williams at Arkansas quite a bit as someone who's like, the guy I've been comparing him to is like less athletic Larry Nance, just in terms of his brain functions at such a high level. He's unbelievable in dribble handoffs, uh, really high level passer. Uh, I think he has shooting upside much in the way that it took Larry a few years to develop that at Wyoming and then into the NBA. I think Jalen has a chance to shoot it at some point. Um, yeah, overall, I think that there isn't that guy you could maybe make a case. I don't think Christian Brown is going to be an impact player from day one, but I'm starting to come around on him. Maybe like being able to shoot earlier in the NBA. Um, That might be the guy. Those might be the only ones. I I think that Herb is such a unique situation because he's so good uh, on the defensive end of the court that he was just so ready to come in from day one and be a like impact player. Even if I still, I still have some questions long-term about his offense and, and I love Herb. I loved him pre-draft. I love him now. I just have questions about like feasibility of keeping him on the court for 32 minutes a night in the playoffs, depending on the offense being good enough, basically. So you, you mentioned Jalen Williams, um, I'm going to ask about him and then like one, one other guy and then we, we, we'll, we'll, we'll let you off the hook. Um, sure. But, but with Jalen Williams, there's been kind of, I guess this buzz going around like, okay, he might go top 20. And then like some people saying like, well, he measured out so well, maybe there's some lotto buzz. Uh, do, are you buying into that? So I'm speaking about the Arkansas Jalen Williams. There's another Jalen Williams from Santa Clara. Yes. Who, sorry. I was, I'm talking about the Santa Clara one. <laughs> My fault. Yeah. I, I love, I've had him in, in the first round for, like a month and a half now. And it seems like people are finally starting to catch up a little bit to how good he is. And part of it is he was just underscouted at Santa Clara, right? Like he's, you know, not in the eye and everything like that. I get why he'd go under noticed, but uh, I absolutely buy that he's going to go somewhere in the top 25 lottery. I mean, not impossible. Like he's six, six, seven, two wingspan. 
doesn't really have any holes in his offensive game. Like can dribble pass shoot at a really high level. Uh, you know, the thing with Jalen is he was like a six foot three point guard when he was younger. Yeah. Uh, you know, like he, he kind of has those passing skills and those ball handling skills developed from a younger age. And as he grew and matured physically, uh, he started to play with a little bit more power, started to play. His thing is he's a really low center of gravity, despite having exceptionally long arms, which is a very uncommon thing that I think actually gives him quite a bit of upside. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm very in on Jalen Williams uh, from Santa Clara. I've been in for a while now and. Uh, yeah, that, that kid is that, that's like a that, that is a first round pick unequivocally and, you know, potentially someone that ends up, you know, I, I would say 10 to 22, you know, in that range. It, it, it reminds me I'm, I'm not trying to compare them as prospects, but uh, when when Karis Levert was um, coming into the draft process, all the mocks kind of had him in the second round, like, you know, somewhere between 30 and 40. At least a lot of them did. I'm not sure like where you had him at that well, time. and. So the thing with Karis was, yeah, Karis had the foot injuries. We we all had Karis as a lottery pick coming into his junior year at Michigan. Yeah. And then he got hurt. And then he went back for his senior year. And then he got hurt again. So the whole reason that, you know, I had him, I think, at 35 or something like that was I didn't think he'd stay healthy at the, the end foot, of the yeah. day. And, you know, he was flagged by most NBA teams, if I remember correctly. So uh, don't. Don't aggregate that aggregators. That's me trying no. to remember something off the top of my head as opposed to like actually reporting that he was flagged. Although I know that he was flagged by at least a few that I talked to then. Sure. Um, like I'm trying to think of a point of comparison. It's more the point of comparison for Jalen Williams is almost more like a, a player that just went under scouted because he played in a smaller league and then teams go back at the end of the year and kind of realize, Oh shit, we missed something here. You know what? I, it's, it's more that. And I'm trying ah, to so think of this, like the good old Scotty Pippen, right? Maybe <laughs> like it, not, not like totally right. Well, like that, that idea for yeah, sure. Right. Um, I, I'm trying to think if there's like a specific guy, maybe in the last like three, there was, there was another one something. that kind of, um, that that Daryl Morey liked to use as an example was DeAndre Jordan. Um, and, yeah. and his was like, okay, like, you know, people didn't really know that he didn't get along with the coaching staff there. Or like, they didn't, you know, like use him like the way he wanted to use him. So like, how, how did we, cause one of the questions like Morey asked in this article already is like, how, how, how does the team miss out on DeAndre Jordan? You know, how does that happen? And it was like, kind of like, okay, well, not many people watched him. Not many people like went over there and did, you know, their homework and figured out what the relationship was and then all that. Yeah. Yeah, no, like that's a that's an interesting one. Like that that actually makes some sense to me. Yeah, like it's De DeAndre is weird because he was like a five star prospect though, like coming into Texas A and M. So like I'm trying to I'm really trying to rack my brain of like hidden guy that like pops up from mid major school. Like it, my initial reaction was CJ McCollum, but it's not really that because CJ had the big moment in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't really have the guy off the top of my head to be That's honest. That's cool. It's it's a strange one. It's a it's a strange phenomenon. Yeah, he's 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 definitely an interesting prospect for me, especially if the Pelicans consider trading back in any capacity, and they feel like you know they they, they can uh, get some assets um, while while they're doing it. But the last guy I wanted to ask you about, um, and it's a very quick question: buying or selling on David Roddy? Selling. Selling. I don't think he can defend at the next level. I I love nothing more than these guys with unconventional stories and unconventional body types, like figuring it out. I just don't think it's an accident that Colorado State's defense has actually been like kind of a nightmare uh, the last couple of yeah. years, even though they've been very competitive uh, in large part because of David Roddy's incredible offensive skill. I just really worry about who he defends at the next level. I'm just not sure that's totally fair yeah, yeah i'd put him at yeah. fours and maybe small ball fives <laughs> but even then you know it's, that's that's a yeah. very situational player but i i really yeah. like his offensive game i think he's like he's such a smart player and, and i think he just will find a way to like make it work but you're right the defensive concerns are require particular team context too yeah and like i i get the i get the appeal i'm not immune to the idea of david roddy as an nba player like i'm or inured maybe i guess not immune um 
Like I, I'm not totally out on it. I just, with what I personally value, I value more athleticism, switchability, multi-positional versatility. Um, I think that you can see that by the way I talk throughout this podcast about guys like Jeremy Sohan, you know, Ben Matherin's a good athlete that can defend multiple positions in theory if he improves his, you know, skills uh, and fundamentals defensively. Uh, Dyson Daniels is another one that I really like. So th those are the kind of guys that I tend to value more than others. But, um, you know, it, it could be one of those things where Roddy is a blind spot for me, and I'm totally willing to admit that. For sure. Well, um, I think that's that's it from from our end. We we appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for coming on. We're going to do a quick word to our sponsors, uh, DraftKings. You don't have to stick around for that if you don't want. Uh, <laughs> totally uh, up to you. But, um, yeah, man, appreciate appreciate you hanging with us. Yeah, of course, guys. Uh, feel free to reach out anytime. I don't know if I'll have time to do it before the draft necessarily again. But uh, sometime after the draft, I'm happy to do it again. For sure, for awesome. sure. Thanks, Sam. Thanks so much. Yeah, great to see you guys. Yeah. All right. Well, that was Sam Lucini of The Athletic. And as always, this podcast was brought to you by DraftKings. It is major time in Tulsa's and in Tulsa, golf second major this year. We have a really cool promotion for new customers. Don't miss out on all the action this week on DraftKings. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today. Use the code BOOT at sign up. Bet $5 on on the golf second major and get $100 in free bets, no matter what. That's $5 and $100 in free bets. The promo code is boot, B-O-O-T, and it's only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, uh, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. That's one 800 Four two six two five three seven. So shout out DraftKings. Appreciate y'all, and uh, thank you for listening. <laughs>